Here's another of my quick story time episodes where I introduce some of my favourite history books and read you a short extract. If you hear any background noise, it's because I've got Bomba snoring in the study and my husband is in his cupboard in a hall playing geeky roleplay games via webcam. I thought if the lads are busy, I might as well do a quick podcast. So the book we've got today is Second Hand Time by Svetlana Alexievich, translated by Bela Shevich. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll know I am obsessed with her books. Every single one, every single one is magnificent. But I'm choosing this one today, Secondhand Time, as it's maybe her least well-known, or at least it seems to be the one that's chattered about least on Twitter. And maybe that's because its subject matter is so huge. It's about the fall of the Soviet Union. Whereas her other books zoomed in on smaller or neater or more easily categorisable topics, such as the Chernobyl disaster, Soviet children in the Second World War, Soviet women in the Second World War, and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So compared to those, the topic for this one seems massive, uh, gargantuan, and maybe a bit intimidating. Let me read the blurb from the back of the book for you. It's published by Fitzcarraldo Editions. Secondhand Time is the latest work from Svetlana Alexievich, winner of the 2015 Nobel Prize in Literature. Here, she brings together the voices of dozens of witnesses to the collapse of the USSR in a formidable attempt to chart the disappearance of a culture and to surmise what new kind of man may emerge from the rubble. Fashioning a singular polyphonic literary form by combining extended individual monologues with a collage of voices, Alexievich creates a magnificent requiem to a civilization in ruins. Brilliant, poignant and unique portrait of post-Soviet society out of the stories of ordinary men and women. So, like all her books, it's an oral history where we hear directly from the people who experienced this and that is my favourite kind of history. It's the most direct and the most powerful. And as I said at the beginning, if you feel the subject matter is too huge to grapple with or perhaps too alien to you, don't worry because oral history is storytelling, isn't it? So just open the book and you will be thrown directly into someone's story. It's a, it's a welcoming kind of history, I suppose. Now, looking at the book, let's tackle the topic of shame. I have a history degree from, yeah, a good university. I read a lot. I consider myself quite well educated. But I was slapped around the face with my own ignorance, total ignorance, when I read this book. I was astonished at how little I knew about the Soviet Union and how it was perceived by the people inside it. So maybe that was due to my own ignorance. Maybe it was a simple case of prejudice, having grown up in the Cold War, where we were taught to see the Soviets as baddies and the communist system as oppressive and evil. But I just quietly and lazily assumed that 
Everyone in the Soviet Union hated it and was joyful when it collapsed and that everyone naturally wanted to be westernised and to chow down on McDonald's. Plenty of people did, of course, but there were others, plenty of others, who mourned the fall of the Soviet Union and saw their identity and their political beliefs and their security vanish overnight. There was also, in the fall of the Soviet Union, the uncovering of masses of secrets which ripped families apart and also the outbreak of disputes and wars as different countries who'd previously seen themselves as Soviet brothers in the Union were now suddenly enemies and wanted their own borders and their own country. So I was astonished, not only by the incredible and dreadful stories in this book, but by my own thumping ignorance. I was so embarrassed. I just thought naturally everyone wanted Western democracy. So this book taught me a whole lot, not just about the politics and the history of the fall of the Soviet Union, but I dare say it taught me a lot about not assuming things about people. Arguably I should have known that already, but obviously I didn't. So let me read two extracts from this book which have stayed with me, which really, really upset or traumatised me. The first story is, as I mentioned earlier, about the uncovering of secrets after the fall of the Soviet Union. A regular communal apartment. Five families live there, 27 people in total, sharing one kitchen and one bathroom. Two of the neighbours are friends. One of them has a five-year-old daughter and the other one is single with no kids. In communal apartments, people were always spying on one another listening in on each other's conversations. The people with 10 square metre rooms envied the ones with 25. Life, that's just how it is. And then one night, a black Mariah, a police van, shows up. They arrest the woman with the five-year-old daughter. Before they take her away, she has a chance to cry out to her friend, If I don't come back, please look after my little girl. Don't let them take her to an orphanage. So that's what happened. The neighbour took the child in and the building administration gave her a second room. The girl started calling her Mama, Mama Anya. 17 years went by and 17 years later, the real mother returned. She kissed her friend's hands and feet in gratitude. If this were a fairy tale, this is where the story would end. But in real life, the ending was very different, without a happily ever after. When Gorbachev came to power, after they unsealed the archives, they asked the former camp inmate whether she wanted to see her file. She did. So she went down to look at it, opened the folder, and the very first page was an informant's report. Familiar handwriting. It was her neighbour's. Mama Anya's. She'd been the one who'd informed on her. Do you understand any of this? I don't. And that woman couldn't either. She went home and hanged herself. The second extract is about the war between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And, again, shame. I knew nothing of it until I opened this book. We learned that Armenians had lived happily in Baku, Baku being the capital of Azerbaijan, 
And of course, why not? They were all Soviet citizens after all. And then, as the Soviet Union begins to break apart, it all goes sour. This story here is told by an Armenian who was living in Baku and finds that her Azerbaijani friends, neighbours and colleagues begin to turn on them. At night, the city was chillingly quiet. How can it go on like this? I can't stand it. What is all this? The horror? During the day, people weren't laughing anymore. They weren't joking around. They'd stopped buying flowers. It used to be that there was always someone walking down the street with a bouquet. People kissing here and there. Now, the same people were walking down the street avoiding one another's gaze. Something loomed over everyone and everything. Some sort of foreboding. I can't remember everything precisely anymore. The situation changed from day to day. Today, everyone knows about some gate. It's only 30 kilometres outside of Baku. The first pogrom happened there. One of the girls he worked with was from there. One day, after everyone had gone home, she started staying at the telegraph office. She'd spend the night in the storeroom. She walked around in tears, wouldn't even look out the window, and didn't speak to anyone. We asked her what was wrong, she wouldn't say. And when she finally opened her mouth and started telling us, I wished I'd never heard. I didn't want to hear about those things. I didn't want to hear anything. What was going on? What is this? How could they? What happened to your house? It was looted. What happened to your parents? They took my mother out into the courtyard, stripped her naked and threw her on the fire. And then they forced my pregnant sister to dance around the fire. Then, after they killed her, they dug the baby out of her with metal rods. Shut up, shut up! My father was hacked to pieces with an axe. My relatives only recognised him by his shoes. Stop, I'm begging you! Men, young and old, in groups of 20 or 30, got together and started breaking into the houses where Armenian families lived. They killed and raped daughters in front of their fathers, wives in front of husbands. Stop it! Just cry instead! But she wouldn't cry. She was too scared. They torched cars. At the cemetery, they knocked over tombstones with Armenian last names on them. They even hate the dead. Well, if you're new to Svetlana Alexievich's histories, they are all like that. Very brutal and relentless. And yes, you do need to take a break when you're reading them. I mean, an actual break. You need to stop and go away and have a rest. I recommend every single thing she's ever written. So that was a quick review and extracts from Secondhand Time by Svetlana Alexievich, published by Fitzcarraldo Editions.